Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I'm going to go ahead and go first. And I'm going to do a subject that isn't going to make sense probably to anybody until I explain it. So I am doing black currents in the United States. Where did they go? Oh, okay. Have you, have you ever had anything black current, Sarah? I think so. Yeah, they're, it's an extremely common fruit and flavoring and beverage type flavor in Europe. And it is extremely uncommon in the United States. And when I studied abroad in Ireland, I really liked blackcurrant jam. And I couldn't figure out why we didn't have it in the United States because we've got like every other jam. We've got all sorts of disgusting jams. So why not a nice one? <laughs> So I actually, I follow a candy company in Tallahassee, Florida on YouTube. They're called Lofty Pursuits and they have an excellent, like a really enjoyable YouTube channel. They make fabulous videos of the the candies that they make. They make old fashioned, uh, usually Victorian era style candies and they actually use traditional machines and they pull the candy by hand and they make all sorts of the, the image candy where it's got, it's the circular candy. And then on the inside, it's got a little picture of something and they've got a lot of fun videos to watch and the candy always looks delicious. I haven't ordered any, but they also serve breakfast Uh, and we'll link to their YouTube channel in the show notes, but they got a request from someone to make black currant candy. And they didn't know at the time quite why blackcurrant wasn't a, a thing in the United States. And so they did some research and I did a little extra research and here's why. So what is a blackcurrant? A blackcurrant is a very common beverage and jam and candy flavor. It's really popular fruit. It's a little blackish, purplish. It almost looks like a blueberry, honestly, but it's a little darker. And they are native to temperate areas in Europe and Asia. And actually, the purple Skittles in Europe and Australia are blackcurrant flavored. Uh, They're grape flavored in the United States. They're related to gooseberries. They're very high in vitamin C. As far as fruit goes, they're, they're pretty dietetically healthy. Uh, And so some people may be saying, well, I've had currants in scones and things, and I can buy a box of currants at the grocery store in the United States. The currants that say Sunmade sells, the brand Sunmade, are actually Zante currants, which are made from very tiny grapes. So those currants. I had no idea. (laughs) They're fibbers. (laughs) (laughs) There are red currants, black currants, they're actually white currants, which are really beautiful. They're all related to each other. And they were all banned in the United States starting in 1911. Why? They were considered at the time a carrier species for white pine rust. It was thought at the time through botanical knowledge, and I'm saying that because it's not quite accurate, that the disease 
the white pine rust didn't pass from white pine to white pine, but that the black currant was a disease middleman, a vector, if you will. So it would go from white pine to black currant to white pine. And the lumber industry uh, in their, and I put this in my notes, in their almighty wisdom, uh, decided <laughs> currants had to go. We could do a lot. We could do a whole episode about where did the lumber industry make things go because they have been movers and shakers in U.S. history in terms of making things illegal. So it became illegal to cultivate currants in the United States, as well as a lot of gooseberries. And so they fell out of fashion flavor-wise. Cranberries, raisins, dried blueberries, huckleberries, dried cherries, plums, they became more popular, particularly because a lot of those species were already native, they even grow wild, so they were easy to get a hold of. And I talked about in my Old Fashioned Flavors episode how there's a real appeal in U.S. history to being able to access the source of your sweeteners, your candies, your dried fruits, etc., yourself, because for a very long time, supply chain management wasn't what it is now. There was no Amazon in 1911 that I know of, I mean, other than the actual physical Amazon jungle. So it was much more convenient to get some cranberries or some raisins or pick some plums and dry them yourself than to cultivate a highly illegal uh, lumber industry persona non grata, such as the current. Uh, White pines with the rust, the rust itself, it's a disease that ends up basically killing the tree. That had been imported itself from Europe. (laughs) As the lumber industry nearly obliterated trees in the United States, as it has done more than once. Uh, White pines were imported from Europe and the rust came with pines. It had developed in Europe in the 18th century as a disease, like it was described at that point as a disease. It It may be older. And then traveled to North America on the pine seedlings imported for lumber use. So we imported the disease and then we imported the vector for the disease and then we banned the vector. So, <laughs> uh, in the 1960s, the federal law was altered to turn over the regulation of black currant cultivation to states, particularly since the shrub itself was usually regional, as is white pine cultivation. Uh, Very common in the Northeast, not exactly common in the Southwest. So, you know, it it was the type of thing where I I guess the federal government figured that between Arizona and New Hampshire, they could figure out what was best for them, which makes sense. In 2003, the ban was actually overturned in New York State, but only for disease-resistant cultivars. West Virginia, North Carolina, and New Hampshire all have statewide bans on all black currants, all gooseberries, all red currants, etc. So, sorry, North Carolinians, we can't grow them here, which is a shame because they're actually really tasty. <laughs> then uh, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Rhode Island, and Virginia all have some form of restriction or ban, but they have caveats in their law for species other than the black currant or disease resistant plants. There have been disease res- resistant plants bred in Europe and then they're available for cultivation in the US as well. You can actually get special permits to grow black currants. And I could not find a lot of information about people who were willing to go through the effort of getting a permit 
to grow currents, but I guess we'll see, time will tell, maybe black currants will be the new pumpkin spice. I think they taste better than pumpkin spice. <laughs> uh, different states obviously have different laws and a lot of them depend on both the current's host status for the rust and based on its availability to carry other diseases and pests. So this laws pertaining to black currants have evolved a lot in terms of their regulation, and they haven't been specific to the white pine rust. And I'll give you an example quote. This is from a question that was asked to a lawyer, and I'll cite the, uh, the source of the quote, but it's both under the purview of the USDA and customs. Based on the USDA inspection manual, black currants are allowed in Florida since they are not a fruit fly host. So that has nothing to do with the rust. This is me doing a caveat, but it's fruit fly host. However, they cannot enter the U.S. from Northern Ireland, the Isle of Man, the Channel Islands, and several, several other EU countries. Chile has, a special, has to have a special import permit to move this product into the United States. Outside of these particular areas, there shouldn't be a problem with this fruit moving into the state. So that's a lot of caveats that have nothing to do. I mean, what, I mean, Chile, apparently they cultivate them in Chile, which is obviously not Europe. So it's the type of thing where, while it might be legal in the state in which you live, there may be other restrictions based on say fruit fly hosting or just overall laws regarding how things are allowed to be imported from a particular country. So why, again, I mean, now it's, it's legal in a lot of places. Uh, why don't we have blackcurrant Skittles? It's, it's not a fruit that's economically needful here. There's a limited market. And we don't, it, it, a main reason it's very popular in the European Union and particularly in the UK is it's a reliable source of vitamin C when you are unable to import other sources. It's very high in vitamin C and it was used as a dietary supplement during World War II in the UK due to supply chain issues. And it meant people developed a taste for it because it's quite sweet, it's tasty, it's familiar. In the United States, we don't need a reliable source of vitamin C from the black current. We've got a lot of different vitamin C sources, including actually uh, white pine needles. <laughs> You can make tea out of them. They're very high in vitamin C. So it's... Huh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's, they're like extremely high in vitamin C. So if you're pregnant, don't drink white pine tea. That's how high the vitamin C is. Oh. So we have access to citrus because of California and Florida. We have access to, say, white pine needles or staghorn sumac another good source of vitamin C. So it's... There's, there's lots of options. There's more than just those two like hunter-gatherer options that I just threw out there. So we don't need the black currant. It's delicious. And I'd encourage people to try to go find, I found, and I was, Sarah and I are recording remotely today because my kid has the croup, which I didn't know was still a thing. It is. <laughs> Poor thing. She's getting Victorian diseases now. She is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to make sure she doesn't get chill blains. Uh, <laughs> and she won't get rickets. She's got excellent nutrition. <laughs> it, 
But so we're recording remotely and I actually found in the grocery store black currant conserve is what it was called. It's I mean it's jam basically. And I was gonna bring some to Sarah with digestive biscuits because they're delicious. And so we'll have to do that next time. And then I'll also talk about where ye olde diseases went. So we'll we'll eat fruit jam and talk about diseases next time. <laughs> nice. But that's where black currants went. They were banned and they haven't become popular again, primarily because they're not economically needful. They're kind of a niche food. They are used in in some alcohol. Some people uh, really like, say, a a liqueur, a a black currant liqueur. I think creme de cassis, I think that's black currant. I could be wrong. But it's, again, it's not economically needful, so it hasn't come back yet. Uh, But you can occasionally get you can you can at least watch a video of lofty pursuits the tallahassee florida breakfast joint and candy making place uh, make black currant candy that's cool so what you were mentioning the victorians and they used it as a flavoring in candies right mm-hmm. i love victorians like just as someone who comes into contact with antiques and stuff in my life like they were delightfully freaky they were a, they were a, a willing to engage with the world in a way that a lot of other eras have not been. <laughs> yes, they're just delightfully freaky. Like some of the stuff that come, came out of that era is just weird. Like we just had a Victorian era stroller that came up and it was, it has the creepy head of a rabbit. So it's got this creepy rabbit head Ooh. and like the rest of it is like a regular stroller. But like I would have been afraid of this as a kid. Like it's like this crazy grin on it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're interesting. I, I just always like the, all the hair jewelry and stuff that was oh, popular. The, the Halloween costumes. Cause Halloween, yes. like costume balls and Halloween kind of became popular. Yes. In the 19th century. And ooh, those were terrifying costumes. Yes. Creepy and disturbing. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So for my talk about topic, talk about, for my talk about, I'm going to talk about dreams. Uh, Where do dreams go? And I think Emily touched on this in her, where do butterflies go when they sleep? You kind of talked about REM sleep from what I remember. A tiny bit. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. But not, not in depth at all, really. Yeah. And this is about like when you're sleeping dreams, this isn't about like your hopes and dreams and your quarter life crisis and whatever. It's not about those dreams. It's about when you sleep and when you dream. And when we talk about your sleeping dreams, we're talking about the stories our brains tell while we're sleeping. The dreams can occur anytime when you sleep. So I didn't know this. I thought you had to be in REM sleep. You can actually have dreams anytime during your sleep cycle, but they're more vivid and memorable during REM sleep or the rapid eye movement sleep. So we dream multiple times a night, whether we remember it or not. People will tell you, well, I don't remember my dreams. You're still having them, even if you remember, if, even if you don't remember them. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different theories as to why we dream and particularly depending on what brand of belief you ascribe to, 
but generally it's agreed upon that the main reasons it's thought that we dream is that they it helps us solve life problems and helps us process our brain process the life events emotions and create memories so others think that dreams are just nonsensical thoughts and images our brains have to occupy ourselves while we sleep. It's actually thought to be a bit of both, like your brain is kind of piecing patterns of stuff that went together. And that's why people will say, well, I didn't know the solution to this problem. I went to sleep and now I have it. Your brain's actually kind of taking nonsensical images and kind of pushing them together from what we can tell as we've studied dreams. And whether your dreams mean anything personally to you or you think they have a deeper subconscious meaning to other people, all, de all really depends on um, if you ascribe any like deep meaning to them. There are numerous theories about what certain dream symbols mean. And if you'd like to learn more about that, I suggest the work of Carl Jung. And, and he really will delve more into that. But if you really think they have deeper subconscious meaning, this is not. This is not the subject for today. It's where the dreams go. <laughs> <laughs> the, so the dreams come from, from what we can tell, um, different parts of the brain, but the most active parts of our brain that while we dream are the limbic system, the hippocampus, and the amygdala. And these are the memory and emotional centers of the brain that are triggered when we dream. And that's we've actually done brain imaging on people while they're dreaming. So that's how we know what's going on. And that lends credence to the theory that your brain is telling yourself stories and trying to process emotions that are being brought up during your dreams. The release of all those yummy neurotransmitters are actually suppressed, like norepinephrine, serotonin, and histamine. And so this may be one of the reasons, the, one of the most common side effects when you dream, when you take uh when you start taking antidepressants is that you have extremely vivid dreams. I, I know I've had that happen to me. I switch meds and all of a sudden I'm having these crazy, crazy dreams. And I've talked to a lot of people and they've said that the same has happened to them. So it's happened to me too. Yeah. The part of your brain that is especially active, and this is interesting, is the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of your brain that is associated with the fight or flight response. It's like your animal, your animal center. Because it's so active while you dream, we're thinking that it's perhaps your brain's way of helping you deal with what happened during the day and getting ready for threats. So it's your animal, your, it's your animal brain, and you're like, I don't know, I am dreaming about snakes, and I'm gonna run away from the snake whatever <laughs> and we all have to sleep of course um, sleep is an important in numerous processes in our body it seems kind of dumb that we have to be you know asleep for eight hours a day when we were basically evolved out of the grasslands but it's really important to a lot of the processes of our body and people with sleep disturbances or interrupted sleep cycle issues can develop all kinds of nasty things like anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, and memory, and be at a higher risk for dementia issues. So in fact, there are pretty substantial scientific data that all mammals have REM sleep. I thought this was amazing. And I remember you mentioning something about dolphins and their, they have minimal REM sleep because they don't, their brains don't completely shut off. 
I think you talked about that. You talked about how one side of their brain is active and the other side is not, so they can kind of look around and make sure no no animals are coming to try to eat them. I'm pretty sure I remember that. Yeah, some aquatic mammals have unihemispheric sleep. Mm-hmm. And then don't, or some, if they are like floating while they sleep and they have their blowholes above water, I think they can go into REM sleep. But if they are below water, it's unihemispheric or something like that. Yeah, so they don't drown. I'd have to go listen to what I said. (laughs) I remember it. I kind of remember this as I was researching this and writing about it. I was like, oh, I remember her mentioning that. Mm -hmm. And so this is interesting. Armadillos and possums have the most active REM cycles of the animals that we've studied. Wow. They have very, very active REM cycles. Uh, Since they don't, they refuse to speak English. (laughs) We can't really ask them what they're, are you dreaming? What are you dreaming about? Um, But yeah, they have really active REM cycles. So of all the animals we've studied, I thought that was interesting. And studies done on mice have found that animals that have disrupted sleep also have the sleep issues that we have. So it seems to be across the board very important that we have these these sleep cycles, uh, no matter what mammal or in the case of possum, marsupial you are. So in 2001, a study found that dream events no matter how nonsensical, seem to be related to memory formation. In dreams, we can link old memories events to recent events, helping your brain form connections and make sense of them. And then in a 2013 paper published by the American Physiologic Society, cites that sleep, especially slow-wave sleep, the sleep that happens before REM, helps our brains consolidate and organize memories. The REM sleep that happens after this is thought to help us solidify those memories. So it wasn't really known before the the 2000 study, 2001 study, but we've had a lot more evidence and there's been a lot more studies since then that say that uh, sleep and those REM and non-REM cycles are helping us in memory formation. So, we, since we have those two phases of sleep, the slow wave and the REM sleep, we have all these cycles during the night. And though we can dream in both phases of sleep, we tend to have the most vivid and memorable dreams during REM sleep, which I said before. As this phase of the sleep is when our brains are most active, though our bodies are at rest. And dreams can be short or long and last anywhere from a few seconds to 30 minutes, and I did, I always thought it was a few seconds, but I was always like, that's so weird. They're only supposed to be a few seconds, but my dreams seem like they take hours to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they can, they can, they're actually about 30 minutes long. They can be up to 30 minutes long, so that made a little bit more sense. So now that I said all this, where are they going? There's two studies I mentioned before before, and there are are a lot more studies, suggest that dreams become part of our brain's internal network and end up in our memory. They seem to help us make logical sense of events and form new connections between the past and the present. So if, if you've ever had a recurring dream that you remember having before, it's probably because your brain is trying to 
link a current event in your life with something that it has learned or remembered, and it's trying to integrate it into your wetware, into your memory. Mm-hmm. So your brain is trying to make all these connections, perform more neural net, neural connections between everything, and integrate it into your memory. And I think that's really cool. <laughs> so here's here's some advice from George Carlin to close. The next time you see someone sleeping, make believe you're in a science you're in a science fiction movie and whisper, the creature is regenerating itself. <laughs> you're regenerating. You're making new memories. Your brain is trying to make connections. All right. I think it's cool, and I still want to know what armadillo, armadillos are dreaming about. <laughs> Probably tumbleweeds and maybe yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Don't, mm-hmm. are, don't armadillos carry, what is it, leprosy? Yes. They carry leprosy. I think koalas or I forget if it's gonorrhea or chlamydia, but it's chlamydia. I've, we just watched this thing about koalas last night and I was like, that's so nasty. (laughs) Why do they have chlamydia? That's crazy. (laughs) Koalas are weird. They They are weird. Their brains are so like malformed because eucalyptus has no nutritional value. They probably don't even dream. They probably can't. (laughs) Are koalas marsupials? Yes. They are? I think so. Huh. I know they're not bears, even though we call them bears. Oh, did you know, what is it? Uh, One of the marsupials in Australia, it's wallabies. Yes, it's a wallaby. Their pouch isn't shaped up, it's shaped down. So, like, when they're digging, the baby doesn't get dirt in its face. Well, that makes an awful lot of sense. I feel bad for all the babies evolutionarily that had to just get dirt all over their faces. Right. (laughs) Maybe this is like, oh, another baby smothered until finally, like, they evolved to have uh, the pouches that shape backwards. That's really interesting. It is interesting. I wonder if marsupials, what they dream about, digging in the dirt, black currants, I don't know. Worms. Worms, probably. (laughs) all right well you can find more information about this episode and all of our other episodes on where does it podcast.com follow us follow us us. dream about us dream dream about us incorporate us into your wetware while you (laughs) regenerate while you regenerate (laughs) (laughs) 